Hear me, my Redeemer. What a beautiful, beautiful message. Thank you so much, Ensemble. And now we turn to our scripture, which is from Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. So when the apostles had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A question. Are we almost there? Long family car trips. We find this one of the very favorite questions that are, is asked by children from the back seat. Are we almost there? How many people have heard that before? I thought so. It's a question that can drive parents to distraction and one that kids love to ask. Sometimes children are so eager or bored so quickly that the question gets asked before you've even left your own street. It reoccurs time and again along the way, even, even though the car is hurling down the freeway with no indication of slowing down, and even though the kids are assured over and over again that they need to relax because it's going to be a long journey. The question comes, are we almost there? They get obsessed with the destination, and they miss the incredible scenery along the way, passing by the window, and they focus on that point when the car will pull into Grandma and Grandpa's driveway, and they can spill out of the car and get those hugs and hoorays as vacation begins. In fact, they focus on this so much 
that they can lose out on the opportunities and the experiences along the way. Are we almost there? Of course, how we ask that question depends on what we mean by almost. When I drove from San Diego to Des Moines, Iowa with my children, I could reasonably say we were almost there when we reached the Iowa border, which was still several hours from Des Moines. Yet, if I were driving from our home in San Diego to the beach at La Jolla Shores for the day, I would wait to say we were almost there when we were just a few minutes away. It's all relevant. So, Jesus must have had similar thoughts when faced with the question the apostles were both eager and anxious to ask him, are we almost there? After all, they must have been puzzled to say the least. Nothing that had happened in the previous weeks had corresponded with at all to their game plan. As far as they were concerned, when Jesus called them and taught them in Galilee, during the previous three years or so, they were signing up for some kind of Jewish renewal movement. They believed that God had appointed Jesus to be the true king of Israel, even though most of their contemporaries were still suspicious of him. The result of this, as many Jews of the time believed, was that when God restored Israel, the whole world would be turned around at last. Israel would be the top nation, ruling over the rest of the world. That's what had been promised, more or less, in the Psalms and the Prophets. Of course, the, the nations of the world would then be judged for their evil ways. But there might also be the possibility that the blessing God gave to Israel would come at last upon the whole creation. All of this could be summed up in the phrase, Restore the kingdom to Israel. That's what they were hoping for. So the question was natural. Are we almost there? What did it mean? Did it mean that their dreams of restoring the kingdom to Israel were now back on track? Well, it did and it didn't. Like everything else, the dream of the kingdom had been transformed through Jesus' death and resurrection. Just as Jesus had told them, they would have to lose their lives to save them. He now had to explain to them they had to lose their kingdom dreams, at least of an earthly kingdom with ordinary administrative and governmental power in charge of subject states, in order to gain them. And just like children impatiently riding in the car, we ourselves are going to have to wait as Luke unfolds the story to see exactly what he means. God's kingdom is coming in and through the work of Jesus, not by taking people away from this world, but by transforming things within this world, bringing the sphere of earth into the presence and under the rule of heaven itself. Jesus warns them that they won't be given a timetable. In terms of the children in the car, he is telling them that they simply aren't going to have a sense of where they are on the calendar of God's unfolding purposes. 
But what he goes on to say hints at something else. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses from here in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So what does that mean? In the resurrection and the ascension that is about to happen, Jesus is being enthroned as Israel's Messiah and therefore king of the whole world. He is the one at whose name every knee shall bow. As the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the Philippians, well-known British scholar and theologian N.T. Wright says, in the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as king, that new authority would take effect through heralds going off throughout the territory with the news, we have a king. That was always proclaimed as good news because everyone in the ancient world knew that anarchy is always worse than authorized government. Some governments may be bad, but chaos is worse. So the heralds or the messenger would go off to the far reaches of the kingdom. Imagine, for instance, a, a new Roman emperor coming to the throne and heralds going off as far as Spain to the west, Britain to the north, and Egypt to the southeast to announce that Claudius or Nero or whoever was now the rightful king and to demand glad allegiance from supposedly grateful subjects. And that's what Jesus is telling the apostles they must now do. In essence, Jesus is saying, you're asking about the kingdom. You're asking when it will come about, when Israel will be exalted as the top nation, with the nations of the world being subject to God through his vindicated people. Well, in one sense, it has already happened. Because in my own death and resurrection, I have been already been exalted as Israel's representative. But in another sense, it is yet to happen because we still await the time when the whole world is visibly and clearly living under God's just and healing rule. We are now living in between those two points. And you must be my witnesses from here to the ends of the world. The apostles are to go out as heralds, not of someone who may become king at some point in the future, but of the one who has already been appointed and enthroned. But did that mean he was no longer going to be with them? No. He was not abandoning them. He was not deserting them. He was simply departing in order to send, <coughs> excuse me, to send the Holy Spirit to empower them to do their mission, namely to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. When Jesus had said this, as the apostles were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Whenever I read this verse, it makes me think of my youngest daughter. This time we were not riding in a car, but sitting in the airport waiting for to board our flight. And I was directing then three-year-old Melissa's attention out the window to the airplanes, taking off, flying up in the air, 
and disappearing into the clouds. I told her that we would soon be getting on an airplane and we too would be flying up in the air and into the clouds. As she watched intently, I could see she was in deep thought when suddenly she blurted out the question, Mommy, are we going to see Jesus today? Well, her expectation was much like the apostles who stood there mesmerized as they watched Jesus disappearing into the cloud. The cloud, as often found in the Bible, is the sign of God's presence. And Jesus had not gone beyond the stars. He has simply gone into God's dimension, which is as close to us as our most whispered prayer. No more does Jesus disappear than two messengers call the apostles back to their senses Stop passively staring into the sky, they say. Remember what Jesus told you? Go back to Jerusalem and wait there for the promise of the Father. The waiting has an active quality to it. Going beyond merely sitting around and contemplating the past and the future, instead of asking, are we almost there? The apostles wait secluded, in a room upstairs where they are constantly devoting themselves to prayer, along with the other men and women who followed Jesus. The group remained sequestered, yet expectant. In their waiting, they obeyed Jesus' recent commands, but even more, they also express a readiness for all that is yet to come. They wait The waiting period conditions them to be attentive to God so that they might respond when the time is right. They wait in a context of enormous and not fully explained expectations. They live in uneasy anticipation of the new realities that Jesus has initiated. Living like this obviously requires faith and courage. They wait not because they see it as an only option, but because they expect big things to come from God, things in which they will be privileged to play important roles. We, in the church, we are the church. We no longer have to wait for the Holy Spirit. To come. The Spirit is active now in and through the church. The Holy Spirit is prompting us, energizing us, and directing us. We are also in an in-between time now. We are in the time of the Holy Spirit waiting for Jesus to return to the earth to claim his faithful followers. And you may wonder, are we almost there? But like the children on the road trip, we are still on the journey. We must be sure that we don't get obsessed with the destination and miss the opportunities and the experiences that God is calling us to along the way. Like the apostles, we too are witnesses to the love of Christ in our homes, our community, and beyond, here to the ends of the earth. Remember, Jesus warns us 
that we won't be given a timetable. And just as I would tell my children in the car, Jesus is telling us we are not going to know where we are on the calendar of God's unfolding purposes. But what he does say is, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. So how can you and I witness for Christ? We, like the apostles and all Jesus' followers, need to take time to wait, to turn our hearts and minds toward God in prayer, to listen and learn and discern, to understand how God wants us to use each of us as witnesses to the love of Christ in our homes, our community, and around the world. Do you have the gift of praying for others? Maybe as a part of the deacon's ministry team, deacon's prayer team, or visiting shut-ins? Maybe serving as a, a worship greeter or giving someone a ride to church. Maybe it's helping at the Harambe Ministries or traveling with the GO team to Malawi to work with your orphan children, teaching and caring for them. Whatever it is, it is our responsibility, yours and mine, to respond and nurture the seeds that God has planted within us. In whatever way you believe that God is calling you to use your gifts and talents, know that God will equip and empower you through the Holy Spirit. So as we prepare to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit next Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, I encourage you to take time this week to prayerfully discern how God is calling you to witness to Christ's love, a love that came to earth for us, a love that went to the cross for us, a love that abides with us forevermore. Thanks be to God. Amen.